Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and here's my co-host, Ramey. Hello. And today we're going to talk about a movie about a bunch of kids who love their school so much they decide to have a pep rally that goes a little too far. Of course, we're talking about Taps, which premiered on the 25th of December, 1981, and it was directed by Harold Becker. It was written by Daryl Ponixan, which I'm probably mispronouncing, Robert Mark Kamen, James Lineberger, and it's based off the novel uh, Father's Sky by Devere Freeman. And it's got quite the cast. It stars Timothy Hutton, Tom Cruise, Sean Penn, George C. Scott, and Ronnie Cox. And this is when most of these young guys would have been, I guess, teenagers. So yeah, so the first time I saw this, I guess I'll go first. I saw it. I mean, 1981, I would have been six years old, so clearly I didn't see it in theaters. (laughs) Mom and Dad weren't taking me to that. I probably saw it on video. In fact, I'm almost certain I did because I remember the cover. I remember remember it quite specifically. And as a kid, I really liked this film. It's probably one of the reasons, believe it or not, I went into the military, which is almost certainly a terrifying thought when you think about it. So I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark, say I was probably seven or eight when I first saw it. And when I saw it, I loved it. I thought it was really cool, the idea of these kids, so disciplined, doing this amazing thing. I was pretty impressed with it. Now, this is your first time seeing it. First time, yeah. Okay, so what were your initial thoughts when you were 37 years old? <laughs> yeah, yeah, first time I saw it was just now. It was good. I, I think that they did a good job with, you know, it's not some, a flashy movie where yeah. they're running from place to place, but uh, it, it's a good movie in the sense that it speaks to what, you know, these kids could be thinking in the 80s or when they're yeah. trying to save their school and trying to draw the line between a trained military professional and an adolescent who maybe doesn't know how to deal with that emotion. So yeah, uh, it, it's a good draw for that. So it was good. I yeah. liked it. Well, the movie I mean, it came out in 81, so we figured it was made in 1980. This would have been five-ish years after the Vietnam War. The, you know, the Americans didn't have a particularly positive view of their military. And you, you, know, you get that in the few scenes you see with civilians. No one really likes these guys. And the book itself, Father Sky, which I probably should have checked before. Okay, so New York, 1979. So the book came out, and then almost immediately, I'm guessing, was they sold this. You know, they got the film rights and and went with it. Um, it's a little different. The, the book deals a lot with Second Amendment rights, and the the shooting isn't just a bunch of drunk assholes outside of the uh, this ball that they had, this end of year ball. It was actually like an anti-gun protest. And a right. kid is shot. You know, I actually like the, the the movie far more. But yeah, it's it's you know, it really shows you that the you know they right from the first scene they show you that this is its own little world. And these kids, they're not like normal kids you'd know. Like they, they they've been raised in a military environment, but they don't understand. Right. They've well, got, not, I mean, you're never gonna it, it with kids. Uh, there's so much emotion and, and thought in the military and and the ability to channel it. I mean, I think back to some of the, some of the situations they put us in as adults and they're trying to break you. They're trying to make you go. Yeah. But as an adult, you understand, but as an adult, you can determine, okay, um, this isn't for me or this is and away you go. But as a, as a kid, it's, they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. It really isn't. And and I don't think they understand the consequences the way an adult was like, you know, one thing I was telling you is that as a kid, I, I rooted for the kids. I thought, yeah, if I were, if I were in that school, I'd be with them to the end. I would have, I would have been right there to the bitter end. And by the time I got in my 20s, I look at what these kids are and I'm horrified. And even sort of the, you know, when we go through this scene by scene, you know, at the end where he talks about, you know, mobilizing children in the seed core, you know, that's, I think, when the last of the holdouts in the audience is supposed to go, my God, they're monsters. But as a little kid, I didn't see that because I didn't get that. I'm a big kid too, is probably what I was thinking. I mean, I guess I'm 42 now. Right, and you want to stand out, like when you're that age, what do you want to do? You want to rebel against your parents and you want to rebel against adults and how dare they restrict my freedoms as a kid and I'm yeah. grounded and everything else. This is military school. This is access to weapons and everything else. So yeah. it's a different type of rebellion. Yeah, well, it's, it's a rebellion almost by becoming more strict. Like I said, you know, it, it, you think of, say, Lord of the Flies, which is about, you know, kids from a military school. I've never read the book, ironically, but I did see a, a movie version of it and, and and they were they they were shown to be military school kids, sort of like these ones. And they wind up on this island. And of course, it's about this sort of toxic masculinity where they all become alpha males and tribesmen, and they become absolutely wild. Where here, it's the same sort of toxic masculinity, but instead of throwing away the rules and becoming crazy, they become more military, like more soldier than a soldier. 
you know, it's sort of like when you see a religious fanatic that's like more Christian than Jesus. And you go, whoa, you're, yeah, you know, maybe you want to dial that back again. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't see that. I just saw kids standing up for their school. And I was one of those weird kids who, you know, liked school, <laughs> um, you know. So for me, the big standout now, as a kid, I think it was the way these kids worked together and they, they sort of fought for their school and wasn't this cool. You know, the school and the military, the two things that as a kid I was enamored with, that's what stood out to me. But now as an adult, I think what really stands out, the one thing that I, I really notice is that they're all pretending. All the kids are pretending. Like you look in the the very first scene is that church service, which is about as waspy a church service as you get. I mean, it's, you know, they're singing onward Christian soldiers and everyone is in perfect uniform and they read from this book of remembrance and everything is so reverent. No call to arms has ever gone unheeded by a graduate of Bunker Hill Academy. In defense of our country and her principles, many of our brothers have nobly and selflessly made the ultimate sacrifice. To honor them, we will close this baccalaureate service as we close all services here by reading from the Book of Remembrance. And the minute they're out of there, what's happening? The, you know, uh, uh, the, one, you know, the one character, Dwyer, who's sort of like the angel on the main character's shoulder, he's making fun of the Book of Remembrance instead of, you know, Sergeant Williamson died in the Argonne, you know, taps 1916. He's like... Youngman, Clarence M. Class of 64, play me. Taps, November 22nd, 1967. Zimmerman, James J. Class of 12, the Argonne, taps... September 27, 1918. Hey, yo, check it out! We got it. How are you, Boris? Class of 22, Sing Sing Prison. Good arrest. Pirelli, Rocky, class of 22. Thank you, Mr. These guys, they're, they're only as prim and proper as the people around them expect. Like you see, you know, like guys hiding. Well, one kid is hiding a a, a, a TV in his uh, in his uh, in his his barrack box, and you know, others are are just, you know they're playing D and D and they watch Star Trek and you know whatever. Clearly, some of these guys have girlfriends, so they are interacting with humans outside of you know outside of the the the, the, uh, the school. But the minute they're all put in uniform and put together and formed up, they they forget they're human. And I think that's what I noticed the most. But, yeah, I uh, think that's a good point. I, I mean, in the military, too, they want to they don't want you to think a whole lot. It really is training you to be mind numbing repetition, train you to react instead of, uh, you know, so that's what they're training for. Yeah. And it shows that. But as kids, you can't take that youthful want to watch TV in the yeah, barracks exactly. where you sneak food in or whatever yeah. you're doing. Whereas those types of things in, in a real military base are probably a little bit less. I mean, it still happens as humans, but yeah. it, uh, yeah, they really do try to show that this is this formidable school, Yeah, but there's still stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah. That, Cause they're kids, you know, right. they're kids. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, that in the army, they don't want you to think a lot. I'm guessing that's more of an infantry thing than a, than a medical thing, but hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it is all mind numbing repetition. Yeah. They want you to shots are fired. You're reacting, you're moving yeah. your, it's your body, you know, in, in, in basic, um, you know, they teach you to like, like if you have a bed, they teach you to do hospital corners and nowhere on earth does the, the, the artillery start coming in and the sergeant screams quickly, make your bed perfectly. That's not the point. And if it is the, the guy's nuts and you should probably, you know, tie him up and gag him and go do your thing. It's that they want you to learn to do simple things perfectly every time without thinking about it you know and, and so yeah so these kids though they're not mature enough i mean some of them are eight nine ten years old you look at them like how could this kid possibly understand the ramifications of what he's doing he does it because he's told to do it but you go into an elementary school and you tell the kids to line up what happens bang they line up right so so we'll go through it scene by scene ish we'll probably <laughs> probably make it a little shorter than the last one which wound up being just shy of two hours so it starts off again with that, you know, that church service where everything is perfect. Everyone is shiny. Everyone moves like, you know, the, the, the few people who are moving is everyone's seated. You know, you get the color party with the, with the, the flags and you get General Beish. They all move with such military precision. 
you know, and you really get the you really get this idea that these people are being raised to be soldiers for their country, and they're injecting a little bit of religion into it, not sort of crazy religion. Uh, and that occurred to me when they actually do the funeral service for General Bache much later in the film. There's no mention of God. There's no Christianity. Whereas this is an this is a very Christian service in the beginning. You know, worlds without end. Which of course I'm not, not Christian, so I don't know the. I don't know the, the songs, but, you know, onward Christian soldiers and that sort of thing. And then we get to finally meet these people. We get, you know, Cadet Brian Moreland, who's 17 years old. He's in, I guess, what we'd say grade 11. We, we get to meet all of these people. We get to meet, uh, you know, the, the one guy, um, Brian, uh, Dwyer. Dwyer. Yeah, Dwyer, Dwyer yeah. who's, you know, he's sort of the rebel because he's half civilian on his mother's side. And he's clearly the free thinker. And, you know, he sort of looks on this. You know, it's very clear right off the bat that he sort of looks at this military stuff and says, yeah, maybe I don't buy into this as much as I should. And on the other side, you have Tom Cruise's character, very young Tom Cruise, second Tom Cruise movie of the day we've done. And he's just this little twerp. But at the same time, he's, he's so gung-ho, it's gross. He's like found his place. And that that's the funny thing is is in interacting with military people is some of these people haven't been able to find their place. And and he seems to have found his place in the military where maybe he didn't fit in with the groups yeah. outside and he's there and this is, he's going to own this. Yeah. And it's funny because I worked for, I spent two weeks uh, as a, as a medic at a, uh, a recruiting center and we were on the lookout for guys like that because we try and dissuade them from joining the army because they're dangerous. Right. Guys like that are just, you the know, fanatical. Guys. Well, they're fanatics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they don't care. Like you're looking for the guy who wants to be, he loves the idea of being near live ammunition. Ooh, okay. You know, maybe we don't want you, you know? <laughs> so we meet these guys right off the bat and, we get to see some neat things like him preparing for this dinner, some, you know, some special dinner. And, you know, we see their, their dorm room and it's, my God, I don't think my dorm, I don't think my room looked that good in, in, in basic training. Of course, the first time it was in barracks. And I, I can't remember, certainly on my threes, they didn't care what our, our lockers looked like as long as we didn't have a goat tied to the, to the bedpost or you know, anything like that. But these guys, I mean, it's clear these guys live this all day. He passed, like Brian Moreland passes by, you know, the, those plebes, those first year kids who are like 12 years old and they're forced to live this life. Like he, he you know, he knows they have the TV in the, in, in the barrack box, but he checks, there's no dust. One of the kids who's a nickname Pigpen, I think we can guess why, is told to turn out his shirt. It's clean. And so, of course, Brian Moreland, <clears throat> quote unquote, didn't see the TV. Why? Because these guys were doing things the military way or at least the military school way and they're good with that and you know we learn a little bit about Dwyer we learn a little bit about uh uh Moreland and then he goes to this dinner yeah well I think a big part of the flaw in that even in that scene right way is they start building up that they've created a chain of command within these kids within the kids yeah and that's I think uh really speaks to the later on in the show is if you don't have anybody making decisions you don't have an adult making mm -hmm. rational decisions it just shows it's kind of a good uh, foreshadow into yeah. these kids, you know, don't know the right from wrong. Oh, I'll let that go, but it's yeah. clean. Life's good. So, well, yeah. And then stuff like that. I mean, we've all, we both from the military, we both see that, uh, you know, that, where they sort of overlook something because you got everything right. So they're going to overlook and you know that they know that you know that, you know, it's that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's like this school is almost absent of adults. We see the dean a few times. He's the guy counting the bullets later. And we talk to the sheriff ever so briefly, but really these guys seem to run themselves. You know, they, they seem to just, that building where they all live, it seems to be that's, they're on their own there. You know, and, and like you said, it's a chain of command. I'm nodding a lot, which is really good for the viewers. I am agreeing with Farron. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's funny, this whole microphone thing, but um, it, it's good. The, the segue Farron was talking about is we go into uh, a room with the admiral, and, or the general of the the place and he's he's pouring brandy for two 17 year old well a 17 year old and an 18 year old right? so in the u.s that's three and four years away might in the 80s it might have been 18 i don't know but I, I guess the idea that i mean even when we were in the army a 17 year old could go into the junior ranks mess and order a beer the theory being if you're old enough to carry a rifle for your country we're right. going to give you a beer just don't get stupid and it's clear this isn't a a bacchanal they're not the three of them aren't going to be down to down to their skivvies waving their shorts around while you know while while dancing girls dance on the you know it's it's a solemn event 
where he is giving them this sort of hint of manhood. Here is this. Because they've already had coffee with them and they've had dinner with them. And Who is it? The general and And the outgoing, well, Major Moreland, the incoming cadet major. Right. Because next year he's going to be in grade 12. He's going to be the president of the student council, essentially. And then the outgoing guy who's on his way to, as they point out, West Point. So this guy starts at age, we assume age 12 in that school. He's gone all the way to graduation. And where's he going? Freaking West Point. He's going to live his life in the military. As an officer. As, as an officer, yeah. West Point doesn't train sergeants. No. Um, at least not to my knowledge. Um, and, you know, the one thing about, we get to learn a lot about General Beish, played by George C. Scott, and sometimes I wonder whether they're playing on his, his, his most famous role, which is Patton, General Patton, in the movie Patton, where he's just like, this guy lives in a museum of his own memory. Like, he's barely human. He clearly he doesn't have a wife, or, so it's, or so, certainly we don't see it. Maybe he did. Where there are no pictures to hint that he does. So maybe this guy has just lived his whole life. Like he, you know, he's the first time we really see him in this dinner. He's talking about this battle he fought in, uh, in Korea and four, five, six. You know, I can never hear that sequence of numbers without feeling a rush in my blood. You know, the siege itself was almost as bad as the assaults, and the assaults were out of this world. They just kept coming at us, wave after wave. You know, of course he's scared and he lost 20 pounds, all of it brown, chuckle, 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 and all this stuff. And But it's like this guy had one glorious moment and he's just living it. And these kids just hang on him. How do you stop from being scared? They ask with wide eyes. And it's like he has to point out to them, well, you don't stop being scared. Of course you're scared. Everything is about honor. Like this guy is... You know, the humanity pokes through once in a while, like when he says never free, you know, you know, later on when they announce the closure of the school and he says Major Moreland never, never, was it never feel ashamed of being human. But those, those, those moments are so rare. He, this guy lives in a museum he built for himself in the Commandant's office. I mean, you look at his office. Is there anything human about it? The no, picture the robot in the military. Yeah, like he's got a picture of himself. It looks like it was a, a photo they took quickly on the set one day. Everything is the pictures of, uh, of past, you know, commanding generals of the school and swords. And he's got two AK, he's got an AK-47 on the wall. He's got a German MP-45 on the wall. And like this guy lives in a military museum. And maybe that's cozy, but there's nothing human about it. Nothing that suggests he has a life. I mean, the very idea, he's, remember he later he talks about how, you know, he, men younger than himself take their pensions and go play golf, and he, it makes me want to puke. I came to Bunker Hill when I was 12 years old, just like you. With the exception of those 12 years, I've been in uniform all my life. I know men younger than myself who take their pensions and put on stupid little white shirts with cut-off sleeves, alligator on the tit, and spend the rest of their days beating the hell out of a little white ball with an iron club. My God, the thought of it makes me want to puke. This guy can't imagine being anything other than a soldier. Like, he can't even be a not-soldier in his off time. Whereas, you know, when we talked about um, Top Gun, we go to Viper's house. Yeah, he, everything on the wall is about him. But he found time to have a wife and, and, and two children, and he doesn't dress in, you know, he doesn't dress in a uniform all the time, whereas you get the impression that General Beige salutes you know salutes the bed before he goes to bed or something and he wakes up if in the it morning. wasn't issued to him he doesn't need it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like you get the impression this guy doesn't have anything that wasn't handed out uh, you know by the quartermaster um and of course after the the dinner they go back to you know back to his room and he just you know major moreland's absolutely in there after we we toasted honor and listen don't even ask me what we had for dinner can't remember. We had this. We had brandy. Stuff that drank brandy so with the gentleman. Incredible. Do you even like brandy? That's beside the point. Can't stand it. <laughs> Listen, Wes, you should have been there. We talked about battles, battles that he'd been in. Oh, shit. Drank brandy. No shit. Toasted honor. Oh man, brandy and everything. You can tell your grandchildren about. Talked about battles he'd been in, and even Dwyer, who sort of looks at this stuff askance, even he says, "I'm very proud of you. You know, you totally earned those those major oak leaves on your shoulder and all this sort of stuff." And uh, David Sean, played by Tom Cruise, he has that that creepy rifle drill thing going on in the hall. In honor of this auspicious occasion, Major Moreland. Your presence is requested in the hallway. Major 
21 gun salute which yeah it's like almost yeah and, and it's just it, it's it's the creep factor maybe it's i mean i've seen this film a thousand times but this is the first time i've seen it in a couple of years this is the one of the few i didn't watch in advance of us and so it's been a couple of years and i and i was immediately creeped out by the the level of worship and it's a little icky and i i can't help but wonder how people viewed that in the 80s especially yeah. in the states when the, again the u.s the u.s military was not viewed favorably especially after vietnam right um, well, I just wonder if parts of these things too back then were, were a recruiting almost drive, like, you know, show these schools and we obviously need to replenish our military because people were leaving left and right after yeah. the Vietnam War and during and they lost a lot of good men out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, scene. And then the, the funny part is, as kind of concurrently to that happening is the general has a paper clip fight to go to and he's going to yeah. go meet with the... Yeah. with the uh the board of trustees, board of trustees. Yeah, and he views them with such contempt just yeah. because they're civilians yeah and then the, they show a scene of him coming back into his office at the same time they're praising the new major yeah. for the and next he's year. totally crestfallen he, and he, yeah he's crushed they've taken away his museum yeah and we don't know that at the time they're they're playing on if you don't know what the film's about you you sit back and go oh obviously something's happened something's happened, yeah. Yeah. Something's happened. So. and then, you know, he has to take a pill so we know he's not well um, like I, I think i mentioned that the, i noticed for the first time after dozens of viewings that general base has a hearing aid because this guy is old and he's put out to pasture we learn later that you know the reason he's commanding that school is that frankly he's out used he's outlived his usefulness as a soldier so he really has nothing but this museum of him and yeah and it's on the one hand, he's sort of crestfallen, and then these kids, they think it's just amazing. And the next day, you have that parade. And it's a, I mean, you and I have both been in parades. I don't think quite that elaborate, but it's like an end of, essentially, it's their graduation parade at the end of the year, and all the parents are there. And these people are, you know, one thing I notice every time you see Major Moreland is he's got that strap across his chest with the buckle, and it's so shiny, you can see the cameraman in it. I noticed it both times that you see it. Like, that's how prim and proper these guys are. And... The only time he sort of is less than military is when they announce they're closing the school. Ladies and gentlemen, for 141 years, old soldiers like myself have stood here on this day and told the finest of America's young men the meaning of the word commencement. It is a beginning, we told them. But today, this day, it has another meaning, an end. An end to nearly a century and a half of tradition and an end to the heart of us. I have been informed that Bunker Hill Academy is to be closed. All of its buildings torn down, nothing to be left but memories. And he looks to the side, he looks for probably for Dwyer and a couple of the kids, they sort of, they, you know, they look at each other, like looking back, like they're looking for reassurance. You know, that's what it takes to break military ranks. The fact that, or the possibility that their life is being taken away from them. Because if you're 12 and you've lived there for a year or two or three or four, what else you got? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, these kids and these 12 year olds aren't going into town on dates. They're probably, Cleaning I don't know their what they're weapons. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, we never know whether these polishing guys are, their boots, polishing their boots. Probably. I don't think they have access to weapons most of the time. Yeah. And then know. once he, the general gets up there and says, you know, the school has been in 146 years and yeah. we've done this. He, uh, they cut to them. Uh, actually, what was the next scene after that? Well, like in the, well in the like in the uh, in the parade, he talks about 146 years, and that sort of reinforces back from the from the church service where they read from the Book of Remembrance, people who died in the the First World War, and yeah, the very next scene is Moreland going to visit Beish and say, "I don't deserve the uh, to be cadet major because I thought of myself first. Like this kid is so programmed that he he's horrified to think that as a quote unquote commanding officer, commanding cadet in this case." He didn't think of his men first, and therefore he's not worthy. And Bay says, sit down. Never feel ashamed to be human. Like this kid, like you almost wonder whether Bay at this point realizes, Jesus Christ, I, no, I've, not, I've not done something right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's starting to be pretty clear to the audience that if this kid, like he's 17, he doesn't know any better. You know, they don't make good decisions. And, you know, this kid, horrified at the idea that, he didn't think of his men first or the school first. He thought of himself first, and he has to be reassured that's okay. It's like you can't help but look at this guy and think, "Wow, dude, you you missed something." Grow up. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the outgoing cadet major, 
we see he has a girlfriend. Beige seems to know who that is. You remember Beige? Oh, no, sorry. Actually, no, it was, but it's other kids in the school who have girlfriends. He says, I've forgotten your name. Cindy, that's right. You know, I'll touch and go there for a while. I remember he says to the one guy, this is later on, but it's like, he, Beige clearly knows that these kids have lives, but Moreland does not. Right. He thinks that he's in it 100%. He's yeah. going to eat, breathe, yeah. sleep, everything. Like, you get the impression, does this, because this guy ever, you know, seen a girl? Like, has he ever held hands with a girl? Because, you know, when he was 12 years old, his, his mom died. He was given 15 minutes to cry and, and off to military school he went. So this guy's never had family. He's never had a feminine influence. There are clearly women teachers. They show them. Interesting enough, they're all civilians. Not one of them is in, the, in uniform, if you noticed. You know, there is teachers. He probably looks at them as lesser. Not necessarily because they're women, but because they're not in the military. So this guy's got nothing. You know, in his own way, he, and we don't see this until the end, he's as bad as, as Tom Cruise's character, who's a psycho. Like you look at someone like this and think I wouldn't want him in the military because he's going to march you over a cliff singing the Star Spangled Banner as he goes. It's a little creepy. And then what happens after that is the, the end Well, the ball, the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And of course we, at first we don't realize what it is these guys are going to. They're all getting dressed. They're all primping themselves up. They're all in the shower. They're shaving. They're being careful. And then you're just, Oh, okay. It's a ball. And my first thought was when do these guys have a chance to meet girls? Yeah, because it's an all male academy, you know. And you sort of wonder, is it that they're not sh- like the the movie? I think this is where the movie fails. It doesn't give us a hint other than that that these kids have a life, other than sneaking in Star Wars episodes or Star Trek episodes or whatever. But clearly, a lot of these guys have dates. I presume the local high school isn't dealing them out like cards. Oh, you can have this one and you can have this one. Presumably, these guys know these girls they're probably not getting issued them by the quartermaster well exactly and that's the thing whereas you know major moreland for him to have a girlfriend probably would have to be issued one right you know just like general beige and in the end i mean even dwyer makes a point he gets a little gross about it he says you don't want the school you want it to be cocoon just for you and beige and that's when they have the fight moreland wants to be beige he doesn't realize that beige is outside of the school walls no one thinks well this guy you know so they go to this ridiculously formal military ball. And I've been on these, you know, where they literally have a receiving line where you're introduced to the next person in line and it's on and on. And it's like, it's this dying art form, but they do it because it's probably always been done that way. Probably for 146 years of the school that they, they have this, this, this dance dinner. We never actually see what it is, do we? No, I don't think we ever actually go into the building. Just the Well, we do. We see the receiving line. But yeah, that's just as close that. as we get. It's yeah, the sorry, hallway, into not into the, the actual whether where they're going to after the receiving yeah. line. Presumably, knows? it's a dance as well. Yeah, uh, and, you know, but it's like we never get to see it because that would be showing, frankly, some humanity. We, then we, of course, we cut to the streets. You know, to the scene on the street outside the gates, where you know the one guy is standing there, perfectly at attention, receiving people coming in from taxis, and you know the the teenagers. You know, and, and, and we learn later that the guy who got shot, he was 17. He's throwing beer balls. He's drunk out of his mind. Well, not drunk out of his mind. He's not wild. But it's clear these guys are all intoxicated and they're harassing the soldiers. And it's like, you know, they're townies. And they're, you know, them damn hippies. I, I, I'm sure is what cadets are meant to think. These damn hippies. Push comes to shove and Moreland comes down. All right, keep this area clear. Stay away from the gate. Yes, sir. Keep this area clear and stay away from the gate. Keep the area clear. Why don't you uh, make us leave? Yeah. Okay, you know, keep this, keep the area clear. And it's like he issues this order, thinking, well, you know, the cadets would follow him without a second thought. Why won't these, these townies, civilians? Yeah, and one guy's yelling, yes, sir. And like they're just they're mocking him, and it becomes a fight. Beige, and it's interesting because who goes running? The little kit, the the one who's the the plebe, the sort of, I guess you'd call him servant for Major Moreland this first year, uh, tw- you know, uh, 12-year-old. He goes running for help to the grown-ups and out comes Beish. And then the teenager, you know, jump, one of these teens jumps on his back and it's like, this is the one, for, you know, the one we, we talked about as we were watching, we even rewound it, is that Beish is arrested for shooting this kid. But in fact, it was one of the kid's buddies who got on Beish's back, grabbed the gun and pulled the trigger, and then Beish snatched the gun out of his hand. Yeah, and the, oh, the whole reason that Beish is is even carrying a gun, and, and it's funny we talk about the history and the you yeah. know it, it's this a is golden a, gun. This you is remember? like a nickel-plated or golden Gold, gun that yeah. was probably awarded to him for some heroic activity, or like, even just you know a, a new job, or he's retiring from somewhere would give you a golden pistol. Yeah, so he's wearing it on his hip, and not that 
it's needed, but it's part of his dress uniform. It's part of his history, yeah. and I always wear that gun. Yeah, and it's not so much that it's that it's loaded and cocked, and I don't know if the safety's off, but it's loaded and cocked. I'm sure it didn't look yeah. like it was a it was a struggle for it, and the, it went off, so it looked like the safety was off. I, well, yeah, because he had the gun in his hand, and Beish had his Beish had his hand on the teen's arm, so there was no physical manhandling of the gun, other than this teen reached into the holster, pulled it out and fired which means this this guy had slipped you know like it's for the record soldiers aren't allowed to go around with a web you know with a round in the chamber and the, the safety in a, off and in a cadet school why that the one adult is carrying a loaded pistol yeah you sort of think why didn't he just leave the you know do it you know we do in training you put you know you leave an empty magazine you put a quarter in it so the damn thing will cock properly when you're told to but yeah it's 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 stupid it's stupidity but of course it's not his fault but it's like they don't care uh, the goddamn general, he had the gun in his hand. It must have been his fault. There's a feeling on the outside that schools like this are anachronistic. That leaders of men like you and me are dinosaurs. Sir? Well, you go to the movies, you read books. A military leader is always portrayed as slightly insane. Well, and they're looking at closing the school anyway, so they're, it's almost like he's just guilty because he's the military adult yeah. expert. Yeah, he and should a kid is dead. dead. Somebody so, has to pay for that. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's and and yeah, and that and that ends it right there. There's going to be no summer session. There's not going to be the one more year the board of governors had promised. But of course, Beish is this. This is his last scene. He's you know he's walked out of his his I guess his residence probably um, yeah. where a bunch of cadets are sort of gathered around and they you know they come to attention almost like an honor guard and Moreland steps in the way of Beish. Say it's going to be all right, sir. And Beish, if you notice, doesn't even see him. Like at this point, he's already ill, as we know he'll have a heart attack later that night. He's being arrested, but he's not cuffed. They just—he's already dead. You know what I mean? Like his he's whole, all, his whole career came to this yeah, moment. It's over, and he knows it. Even if he hasn't thinking that far ahead, even if he thinks, "Oh, you know, once it gets out that I didn't fire the weapon, it doesn't matter." He's no longer connected to the cadets. The cadets are on their own that night. Even though you know there are the other adults, there's the dean and the sheriff is there later and other teachers. But the fact is, Beish is gone. There's an argument that night. I forget what they show. What they watch the news and you know they announce. That's where they learn that night. Is it that it's night or closing? The next night? Yeah, no, that night. Is it that, that night they announce? Yeah, closing the next day. Yeah. And oh no, no, that was that was after the weapons. They were counting, inventorying the weapons the next day. They kind of right. cut to the next day where they're counting, <clears throat> where they're counting the weapons. The weapons. Yeah. Now, it's interesting in the book, they, they bring in a lot of the Second Amendment stuff. It's our right to bear arms and we're going to defend the country. It's sort of, Beish is presented more as a sort of a paranoid, not a militiaman, but sort of a paranoid guy, like, so like very far right wing. And and again, it's not a party. It's a, it's it's an anti-gun protest, and so you know. But even in even in the movie, where again, I think the movie's much better. It's like even the dean says, "I didn't want these weapons here." Hand grenades, fragmentation, M26, 24 to a case, one case. Machine guns, M2, one per crate, 36 crates. 36 M2s. 4.2 inch mortar rounds, four per case. We have 20 cases. Got it. M16s, 10 full racks. All right, that's 22 Iraq, 200 M16s. 45 millimeter automatics, model 1911, four racks, 24 to Iraq. Six crates of M16 bayonets. Six 81 millimeter mortars. Jesus Christ, Beach has enough armament here to start World War III. So glad they're going. I didn't want them here in the first place. That was the general's notion of national defense. And I was like, it's a small arsenal, it's like 200 rifles yeah mortars freaking mortars where are you firing at uh heavy machine guns i mean you look at this stuff and i'm thinking i served in the actual army and i don't think we had that kind of armament in uh in the moada armory i think we just had c7s m16s for our americans c9s because i was a c9s C9 light machine guns yeah but you did but i don't think you guys had mortars and and, and thousands of was there was there a single bullet in moada armory I'm sure there's some because some. It, because they're they're going to militarize that in a case of an emergency. Yeah, but, but it's probably like, like enough to give every guy a full mag yeah, and to that's get it. to a real military base to yeah like <laughs> yeah the actual base yeah exactly, and that's the thing like this guy these are they're armed to the teeth and it's clear that there is there's tension between the civilian staff like the dean of the school and who's a civvy and the you know general base there's clearly been some tension there 
and they're happy to see the stuff go. And clearly the sheriff has decided, no, no, we're, you're done. We're taking your stuff. Yeah, there's gonna, and, and they make a point to say there's going to be no more guns on site immediately. Yeah. And that's when Moreland is, and Moreland wanders in on this happening. And yeah. he realizes more of his freedom, more of everything he knows is being yeah, more stripped. More of his militariness. He's less of a soldier now. Yeah, it's stripped. Right. And at this point, they haven't even alluded to the fact that they're not going to still get their one more year of the school. That's right. And, right. and then th- that that's they when they cut to the scene where. In the senior's lounge where they, they, see, they see it on TV and they announce the kid died. Though I was under the impression he died right there. Right. But clearly not because, A, that wound is not an instant death except in the movie where the guy gets hit in the, on the tip of the ear and you know stiffens up and falls to the ground. That's Hollywood. But here it's pretty clear he's dead. But they announce, you know, later on they... You get the, you know, they, they tell you, no, no, he died in hospital. Like they tried to perform life-saving measures and didn't succeed. Or yeah, whatever. again, I think that's just a, I think that's a filming error as much as, and you see those all the time, you know. And then Moreland says, okay, I'll close the doors, and you know something's up. And of course, unless you were wandering into this movie, did you know what they were up to when they were inventorying? The... No, no, when he like when. He says, as far as I say, we're the proprietors of this institution. Now close the doors. Did you have any idea that Moreland was going to seize control? No, no. He, he said, I had a plan. He said yeah. that I've got a plan. And then you see the kid on the radio saying yeah. whatever. So they're up to something. But did you I... have any idea that this was going to happen? Was this movie a surprise to you? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Like, of course, I, at this point, I don't even remember what I first thought. I must have been seven when I saw the film. I think they foreshadowed it a lot. I mean, they... The, the, well, as soon as they started like the weapons and he walks in there and he's looking around I, there was this foreshadowing that they have this small force that they can use to their benefit yeah. and, and so I knew something was up but I didn't think it was going to be like a seize the school and lock it down and the next the next morning I they, they played it up well because he's they're out getting Supplies. provisions and, and, the yeah, and it's not SOP and it's clear that Dwyer is you know what's SOP uh, standard operating procedure like he's almost stammering it yeah. and Dwyer's clearly nervous and of course we learned that he didn't like this plan from the beginning, but he couldn't bear to leave Brian Moreland on his own. He, he couldn't let his friend go. Right. Mostly, I think he was there because he wants to stop the Tom Cruise character, this psychopath, from having too much sway over Major Moreland. You can imagine what would happen if he had said, I'm out and walked out the door. This would have been bloodier. Right. And then yeah. there's an interesting scene where the two trucks are on their way back. Yeah. And the one breaks down. And, and Of I, course, because I, that's, you know, I, don't you know in, in movies that trucks always break down in the presence sitting of... Sitting at a red a, light a plot, while yeah. they're running? Yeah. In the presence of evil or when the plot needs you to. Yeah. The, not enough me, uh, mechanics working on that base. I yeah. Think they need a few. So, but they, uh, you know, it breaks down. And I, I don't know the importance of that scene because we already know that the civilians don't like the military. But this is the day after a civilian was killed is it the, by these Is it cadets. the next day? Is it it's within a, days, days, within a couple of days. Within a couple of days, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then they have this scene where, oh, they're going to come at him and they shoot a machine gun off. And... Hey, JC, are you catching that action? Hey, you guys having some problems? Yeah, I see him. I see him. Hey, I'm talking to you. Dwyer, for Christ's sake, hurry up! Oh, that's good. Hey, Dwyer, you guys have a problem? Dwyer! Yeah, yeah. Damn it, Pierce, come on! So, Dwyer, you better get back to the problem. Truck. You Cretans lose something? No, just a little mechanical difficulty. You bastard who killed Don! Yeah, David Sean is first thing, yeah, man, I'm going to fire. It's like, and, you know, let's be honest, Dwyer isn't wrong when he says, and Sean couldn't wait to fire off his shiny new toy. And he's right. Yeah. There is no reason why simply going up to them with his weapon raised wouldn't have pushed back the mob of angry civvies who'd come to beat up these drivers. Who already have this negative uh, negative Im- impact of losing a civilian recently. Yeah, so they, they know they have... Guns. All you would have had to do is cock the weapon. But this is more extreme because it's what Sean wants to do. And as you pointed, the the world's fastest police response. Within thirty seconds, there's a cop coming at them, full tilt. Yeah. You know, the only thing I can say is maybe the the bar owner of that bar on the corner saw someone. Oh shit! And called nine one one. Or he was sitting a block away having coffee and heard the shots fired or something. Yeah, but, but it's just it's pretty quick. And it, I mean, it's meant to. It's almost like a a more modern convention because this movie, like even you pointed out, it's a little slow. I loved it, but you clearly found it a little slower than, you know, than you're used to. Whereas this happens, go, go, go. It's almost like a J.J. Abrams film. It's like, there's no time to explain. Just go, go, go. You know, it breaks down. There's the riot. He shoots. You know, the cops are there. Go. You know, you know, it's like, and it's amazing how many police show up. What is it? 30 seconds after 
that truck makes it back, you know. Oh, the, yeah, they, like, the chased one, after them but couldn't quite catch Yeah, them. like, everyone loads it. You know, there's the riot because the one truck is broken down. Everyone piles into the other truck and gets the hell out of there. And 30 seconds later, every cop in, in, in you know, in the county shows up. Like, how many police cars are in this fuck-off well, little They town? did say it was state police, so it was Well, yeah, like, but how many state police yeah. could possibly in it? And, they're all, and they all arrive at once. They don't show up one or two at a time. Right. And, again, that's a Hollywood thing, I guess. But they it, gotta, yeah. yeah, it happens a little too fast. You know, the interesting thing is that the, the police are not even interested in listening to these kids. We have three demands. They don't care. Right. We, they're just not interested. I mean, even even in a scene previous, because, of course, while the, the scene with the two trucks is happening, Major Moreland is arguing with the sheriff and the dean of the school in a now empty armory, saying, you know, we have three demands. The dean is interested in hearing them either. He they, like he has no respect for the fact that this guy is the, other than the fact he says yeah he's the ranking cadet. The the sheriff certainly doesn't give a damn. Yeah, the adults in this movie treat them like kids. Well, but they are kids. They're yeah. seventeen years old. But you know, like I wouldn't listen either. Yeah, fair enough. You know, and 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 these kids are not as socially, how do we put it? They're not socially healthy. Like they're these kids have no idea how to exist outside of a military environment. Environment, and I think he just doesn't. No one's interested. Like there are, like this is now a grown-up thing. You took guns and ammo. What the hell? And these civvies are immediately proven right by again Tom Cruise's character firing a weapon in the air several rounds, ironically using the wrong sound effect. That's like the sound effect you use, you're supposed to use for like the AK-47. That's, That's not what a C7 sounds like. We both know that. No. Again, for our Americans, it's an M16, uh, same weapon. Immediately, these these adults are proven right. These kids don't know when to stop. You know, maybe the thing would have been to barricade it and stand at attention and wait. But no, these guys make it an armed revolt. And by then, you know, all the civilians and all the, like all the adults, really, it's not just civilians, it's the adults, have all been rounded up on the school bus with one of, you know, uh, Tom Cruise's Red Berets. That's one thing we haven't mentioned. Of course, hopefully you've seen the film if you're listening to this. Otherwise, this makes no sense. David Sean, Tom Cruise's character, has his own, what do they call them, companies? Is it a company? Yeah, section, yeah. Sec- I think it's section a, I think it's a com- I think it's the L company. And so essentially they're all red berets. And of course now all Americans wear berets, but back then they wore those military caps. And berets were for particular groups and they're all wearing red berets. Here in, in Canada, red beret is uh, MP. And in Britain too, military police. But there it's just, these guys are like elites or something. Like they're, I think they're like, like I think the guys, like when you look at the rifle drill, like that, creepy thing they do in the hall for oh, yeah. to, to honor Moreland's promotion to cadet major. It's like, I think that's what these guys do. They're like meant to be like the elite drill squad. And, but they view themselves as almost like special forces. Like, dude, your commander is 17 years old. You're not special forces, but they seem to behave that way. And they've got one of these guys on the bus with this passive look on his face. Like he's never had an individual thought in his life. He looks like he's about 15 years old. He's got a loaded M16. And if you notice, no one on the bus moves. Right. They know. They know this guy. Like, they probably know this kid. They know who he answers to, which ain't them. It's Sean. You know, and I think that's where you start to realize, and like you, you pointed before, oh, my God, these kids don't listen to adults. Right. They may, you know, in class, do what the adults say, and and Bash clearly tells them what to say. But all this time, it's very clear these, these kids live in a, a very well-protected world of their own. That's all about the students. And yeah. now that Bash is gone... These other, the dean, and none of these guys matter. The sheriff doesn't matter. Whereas, of course, we as soldiers know damn well that civilian police, when they tell you to do something, you do it. You do it, yeah. Even in uniform, you can't say, oh, I'm in the military, screw you. That's the absolute wrong answer, and you're going to hear about that from your CO the next day if you ever do something that's silly. Whereas these guys, they live it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny. They give these three demands that are totally dismissed. We have three demands. They're very reasonable. When they're met... We'll be happy to return every weapon, every shell. You say we. Who else? Number one. I want a meeting with General okay. Vance behind you. Now you stay where you are, sir. Number two. I want a commission to look into the selling of this academy to real estate interests. Number three. I want a meeting between my officers, myself, and the board of trustees to discuss alternatives to the closing of this academy. That's it. They use yeah. guns to try to scare them into it. They cart all the adults and voice of reason off the base. Yeah. And uh, and then they they cut to a scene. I believe the next scene is they're talking about, uh, oh, the committee wants to meet with you. Is that right away after that? Um, or was that a little bit? No, it, it was because just there's the parents. Well, because first there's like the, the first the, the, the truck gets back. 
Yeah. And actually, it isn't 30 seconds. I'm wrong. We've been talking about this all this time, but I'm wrong. And I won't even edit this out because, yay, we're idiots. The truck comes back with the supplies and the kids from the other truck. Then they all go into a meeting room, the senior officers, and Moreland says, I don't ever want to see an argument like that because Dwyer and Sean were screaming oh, at right. each other. Yeah. And they say, you know, I don't want... I don't ever want to see what I just saw out there. We didn't train to go spastic at the first sign of trouble. Goddamn, I'm glad the general didn't see that. These cadets will follow you only if they respect you. And clearly that's not true. They're following them because they fear them. Right. And because that's all they know. Because they've been trained to. That's all they know. Yeah. Whereas you and I, if we had some mad sergeant leading us off the deep end, it would be our, like, remember, they tell us in basic training, like, it is your duty not to follow an unlawful order. But these kids don't know that. They haven't gotten that because they're not grown-ups. They haven't been taught the Geneva Convention. Why would they? So, yeah, so they have that meeting where he essentially berates them into behave like grown-ups. Ironically, a 17-year-old is telling other 17-year-olds who, remember, they're in grade 11. Right. Telling them, behave yourselves. <laughs> like, these kids haven't even started grade 12 yet, for crying out loud. And then the cops come. Right. That, that, that's how that plays out. They've already... because. When, when, when the truck comes back, he says, yeah, let, the, let them go. We're, we're not terrorists. We're soldiers. We're supposed to be. We don't take hostages. And, and we don't actually see them driven off base, but clearly they are. And then, yeah, then all the police show up, and, and then it's immediately this standoff. And remember at first, you know, they said, we have these three, these three demands, and you know, I'm not sure if it's the sheriff or the deputy sheriff or whoever it is. Uh, screams, you know, we're going to take this place. You have 30 seconds to decide, or one minute to decide, and it's a countdown. And Boys! This is Lieutenant Hanson of the State Police. Now, before things get out of hand, put down your weapons and open the gates. Do you hear me? We have conditions first. Let's have an answer on those. You have illegally seized private property. Under the provisions of the State Penal Code, you have committed grand larceny. You have also threatened the life of a federal officer. Nobody's life was threatened. Now, what about those demands? And you have fired upon citizens and a deputy sheriff. You boys are all in very serious trouble. Put down your weapons or we'll take you in by force. What about the demand? You have one minute to comply. 35 seconds. Can we speak to General Beige? 15 seconds. Prepare to assault. Prepare to rebel. Of course, the tension is broken by kids screaming. Don't shoot me! Hold your fire! Hold your fire! Hold your fire! Don't shoot me! Goes over the top of the, the gate and the, you know, the cops grab him and everything just sort of quietens down. Right. You know, it's like the cops realize there's something wrong here. And it's, you know, like, I think the cops are realizing these kids aren't going to break. Maybe one little kid will, but others, others won't. What happens after that? Yeah. Well, Uh, I think the first meeting, I think they, they, they get a meeting and he thinks he's with the committee and they're going to reopen the school. One of his demands is going to be met. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it ends up just being delegation. Yeah. Delegation of parents who are like the worst parents you could possibly have chosen because most of them are freaking out and they're insulting him. It's like, you don't do this to kids with guns. Right. But I guess they figure his father, who of course we already know this, his father's in the military. He's a master sergeant. And, you know, so he's like a senior NCO and, and he sort of led these people, but you know, he's trying to talk to his son. He's trying to reason with his son and all at once he doesn't want to, he never calls him major. He doesn't want to treat him like he's a kid and he knows, and then the guy knows it and he keeps telling the parents, Oh, shut up. And you know, and he makes fun of them because they're not in the military. And you see that amuses both Moreland and, and Dwyer. They, they think it's funny. He says, we're not in the military. And you know, master Sergeant Moreland says no need to apologize. You know, like, and it ends violently. And we start to realize what Moreland's problem is. His father's a son of a bitch. And not a father, because at no point does he try to connect with him on a father-son he level. He tries a little He bit. calls him kid, but he doesn't. Yeah. He, he offers he says, him a cigarette. Oh, yeah. That's as close. Like, that's but something you, you that offer. another military guy. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it's barely a connection. It's like, you know, your mom wouldn't like this. Or, yeah. you know, you're not, this is not the child I raised. Like, he just, he might as well have been someone else. And like, then tells him why he's failing... From a military standpoint. Yeah, you're, and, you know, and, and at that point, the meeting's over because his backup is against the wall. You, you could say all that. You could see that it's getting to Moreland because he starts to, he almost starts to cry. Like, you could say that. And it's like, I could break your neck. You'd be shot. Like, it's, it's almost like Moreland, like, if this meeting had gone on one more minute, you know, Brian Moreland would have been bawling his eyes out in front of his father. Right. But it was never going to go well. And I think that's part of the problem is that Moreland's broken. He seems like such a nice guy when we see him, but he's broken He's been broken for years. Well, and losing Beish is so bad for him because it's really the father figure yes. that he wanted. Yeah. He, he wanted the father that 
Beige is not the father that Moreland yeah. has. Yeah, well, he didn't even really have a chance. I remember he says at one point when they're getting dressed in their dress uniforms to go meet this delegation of parents, he says, I haven't decided if I like him yet. And then Dwyer says, do you hate your father? And says, I don't know, I haven't decided yet. I, you know, I, I haven't decided if I want to like him or not. And Dwyer says, yeah, well, don't rush into anything. It's like, but remember that he hasn't seen him. He's 17. He's probably never seen him for more than a, a few hours at a time since he was 12. Maybe a day at a time or maybe a weekend. Yeah, I'm going to come this summer and take you out somewhere. But you get the impression that dad doesn't see him that much and that dad isn't an especially caring father. Right. And he's in the school because of his dad and, and he's bought in or drank the Kool-Aid of the school because oh, yeah. they're the ones that gave him that yeah. attention. That yeah. He probably and wanted. he needed a dad and Bache was there and Bache swims in the Kool-Aid. Like you said, he lives in a museum of himself and this school that he's known his whole life. And Moreland has bought into that without realizing this is just school. There is more after, military or not. So yeah, so when you know he finally meets his father, of course it goes belly up. And right. his father, we see what he's like, he smashes him. Of course, now probably audiences will be horrified, but in the 80s, bad news, a lot of parents whacked their kids. Right. I was never struck across the face, but my mother spanked me a few times. But I knew plenty of kids, you know, I knew plenty of people our age whose father struck them like that. Yeah. And so believe it or not, that is not an offense in the film. Obviously now, yeah, that'd be the end of it. It's clear. Now we, now we get it. Moreland wasn't broken by the school. He showed up broken. Right. Well, um, and then, you know, it's funny because that falls apart and then they, they start to escalate what's happening on the street. They go from state police, now the military, yeah, and, and, and the it, National Guard. Well, I mean, first, I remember, he calls everyone up and says, who want you? He, he has a formation of everyone says, okay, if you want to leave, step forward. And no one goes. And even Dwyer says, Look, don't let that display of loyalty today go to your head. It won't mean beans to anybody out there. They'll say it was first-rate brainwashing. Oh, maybe they're right. Yeah. And you know, immediately, you know, Moreland says, "Oh no, no, no! This is what you know. You know, this is what General Beish never calls him Beish. Always General Beish. This is what General Beish says. You know, they're forming a core, men under stress in battle. You know, we're seeing it. It's like he doesn't get it. Dwyer and this, and one of the other sort of senior cadets, this guy named West." who I only notice him because he wound up playing a great bit part in the West Wing, my very favorite show of all time. Um, though by then he was bald. So, you know, 20 years, life wasn't, uh, life wasn't good to this actor. But even those two are starting to say, things are going wrong and we need to, we need to, we need to de-escalate. But he doesn't know how. So there's that, you know, so that first night, nothing happens. Just, you know, like, like you say, the, uh, Colonel Kirby shows up and then he meets him the next day. And what I notice is that Colonel Kirby treats him like a soldier. Because he knows, yeah. he, at this point, he Calls realizes, major, yeah. major, he salutes him when, uh, at the end of the meeting, when Tom Cruise tries to drag him out, he says, as you were, soldier. Like, he's playing the game, not because he's bought into the Kool-Aid, but because he recognizes this is how he's going to get their attention. Right. And then that night, that first night, is that when the power goes out? Well, they start to, the water first. They start right. to take the away water. the simple necessities, so they, they escalate on the street, and then the they start taking the water away, and, and then, then it's they the, take power. the power, and then the tank rolls down the street with the big spotlight. Right, and then there's the then there's the accident, right, right, where they're they're trying to get this old generator going, and you know the guy, of course, his hands are covered in gasoline. He flips this old sh this old switch that looks like the sort of thing you'd see before that, like like they joke, was this from the first World Frankenstein. War? Frankenstein, <laughs> you know, yeah, like Frankenstein, it's alive, but instead, of course, the guy's you know got gasoline all over his hands, and he's set on fire. It's like, what is it with what is it with movies, mostly horror movies, but the black guy always bites it first. Like the, like the one freaking black cadet winds up, you know, set on fire. And this is not CG fire. This is 1981. They doused this guy in, this, they, doused, yeah. they doused a stuntman in, in, in gasoline. And then, of course. Well, then they're carting him out. And this is when Kirby comes and says. No, no, that's after the kid is killed. No, he, this is when Kirby says just to Moreland, just this to, is right. on your hands. This, this is, is on your hands. Fault. And then we realize Moreland's gone over the deep end. Yeah, you start, re, you, yeah. They, they start creating this situation where the wheels are starting to fall off. Yeah, and he is falling into his training. We realize just how much of the Kool-Aid, like he's swimming in the Kool-Aid too. He says, no, no, this is the last, you know, in any war, the last stage of mobilization is the children, the seed core. And, you know, Moreland looks and says, what are they? teaching you here like you could see it in his eyes like ronnie cox who i don't sure if he's still with us anymore i think he passed away people remember him from things like the the, the governor of mars from that uh, that terrible schwarzenegger movie uh uh total recall where he's like this evil bad guy and he was the same bad guy in uh, in robocop and the same thing but he's a very good actor and you see it in his eyes it's like my god what do they turn you into good christ the final stage of any mobilization 
the children, the seed corn. What in God's name did they teach you in here? What did they turn you into? A soldier, which is the only thing I ever wanted to be. A soldier? No, God damn it, I'm a soldier. With the career goal of all soldiers, I want to stay alive in situations where it ain't all that easy to do. But you, my friend, you're a death lover. Oh, I know the species. 17 years old and some son of a bitch has put you in love with death. And he realizes he's screwed. And Moreland realizes there's nowhere to go back. And that's where we find out that Daesh died. Oh, right. right. Yeah. And the next day they have this very touching funeral for him. And Moreland, everyone else is in their dress uniform or they're at least sort of formed up and he's got his cap off and he's soaked to the bone. And we talked about how Lieutenant Pete Mitchell, you know, Maverick in Top Gun, when we see him deflated, he looks so small and mostly because he's not wearing military or anything. But at the funeral, Moreland's the same, despite the fact that he's still in his combats. Right. He, he's done. He's, he's saying goodbye to his life, not just to base. He's burying his father and he's burying, I think, his hope for the future. And then, of course, at that point, of course, we, men- we, we forgot to mention is that Dwyer, his sort of the angel on his shoulder, they have a slugging, you know, knockdown drag out fight, which is only stopped because the lights go out. And the next time we see Dwyer, he's in civvies. And, you know, he's there for the funeral to say goodbye to Beige. Because let's be honest, he's, Dwyer probably respected General Beige quite a bit. And then that night, the kid is killed. Yeah, well, and then the the funny thing is when Kirby's talking to him, says this is on your hands. He, you can see you can see that Moreland knows he's losing, yes, ground. So he says, okay, I'll, I'll go down to one demand. Demand, yeah, and it has to come from yeah. Beish. It's and almost then, like he's hoping Beish would say, stand down. Yeah, because he he knows the wheels are coming off, and then yeah. they say Beish is dead, and you can see him like yeah, physically it, snap. Yeah, and then they're yeah because the next time that Moreland deals with any of them is after the kid is killed. The next night he panics and he runs and the other kid drops his guns. And by the way, guns don't go off like that. But whatever, he drops the gun, it fires. Some douchebag guardsman guns a kid down, who of course is Charlie, this this plebe who used to you know polish uh, Moreland's boots. This great you know this twelve year old, and Colonel, sorry, Colonel Kirby, Kirby. He, doesn't, he doesn't even talk to the officers. He doesn't even try to talk to Moreland because Moreland is just, he's gone. Like he's just, he's got this thousand yard stare because he's looking at this dead kid he likes. And he says, you know, you kids tomorrow morning, we're taking this campus, drop your guns, it's over. And you can see, you know, uh, uh, David Sean, the, you know, the, the Cruz character, he, he starts screaming, he cocks his weapon to make a point. Boys in here, this is the end of it. Right now... Right here. You're coming out. Someone finally had to die. Kirby, hold it right there. You will talk to our men through us. I want all of you boys to know that at dawn, we will take this campus. My men, our tanks, our helicopters, we will take this campus. I don't want to see any more of you boys die. Men, stand fast and listen up. Remember, you are soldiers. You will continue to follow the orders of your superior officers. You will continue. you who don't want this to happen to you. At dawn, throw down your weapons and run to the nearest National Guardsman. Now, we will do our best to protect you and to see that you get out safely, like they did Charlie. The bastards killed him! It's very clear what's going to happen here. It's very clear that Moreland's on his own. And then later that night, we see him, of course, he's sitting in General Beish's office, and he won't sit behind the desk. Have you noticed that? Even once the occupation starts, he never sits in Beish's seat. He sits in front of it. Right. And he's watching the recruiting film that was probably shown to him when he was 12 years old, because he's a younger man. Uh, General Beish is a younger man, so he must have dyed George C. Scott's hair, because he looks younger. So it's probably like the recruiting video, which is like an old reel-to-reel. And that's when Dwyer says, declare victory. And let's walk away. Well, and that's where Dwyer finally gets through to him, where he realizes yeah. he's lost. This is what it took. Yeah, and it's the next morning, and they're walking. Men fall in, fall yeah. in, and but, that's but, the but end. That, of but it. that scene, I mean, we can't talk about it for too long. But that, like that scene in the, in, in the Beish's office, where like it's clear this is what it actually took to 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 knock down the soldier part of Moreland. It wasn't the the torching of of his friend. Clearly, I mean, a senior cadet, probably a good friend of his, uh, the one who gets burned. Yeah, it's the death of this child. And he's starting to realize, like, you start, it's bizarre because, you know, remember I mentioned it when we were watching the scene earlier on, much earlier on when the, the truck breaks down, they're returning to the base with supplies and the truck breaks down. So they empty all the kids out of it into the functioning truck. And one of these kids is so small, he has to hand his rifle up and, an, and, an, and a, a bigger kid has to give him a boost because he's like freaking 12. Right. And, and, then, and then throughout, you see these little, little kids in uniform, like even the Father Sky book we're looking at here. It's a picture of a little kid in a uniform 
with it with, with it's you know it, it, this is almost like a World War II type uniform. He's got the dress shirt and tie, but it's like these are little kids playing army with real bullets. Well, and I think what happened is I think Moreland thought it's the classic kid having a temper tantrum going to his room hoping that his parents are going to turn over their decision for whatever yeah. it is yeah. and that's that's what's happened here he had a temper tantrum they were closing the school yeah and he didn't and realize he'd escalated too far he didn't think that these kids like there's no chance a kid's gonna get killed i'm gonna go give my demands because the school's so important to the world yeah yeah he doesn't and, get it and it just continues to escalate to the yeah. point now where kids are dying well and i mean the interesting thing that. is that remember they had that conversation early on after the announcement of the closure when he when base and him meet and he says you know I don't, i'm not i'm not worthy i i thought of myself first and they talk about this like on the outside no one thinks this is the institutions like this are worthwhile they hold honor in disrepute they think we're mad if you look in the movies, he says you you watch movies you watch tv um military leaders are always mad and maybe they are because they uphold honor like even beige doesn't get why it is that american society had soured on the military because they'd watched which at that point was up to their longest running war which was this the horror of vietnam where there was nothing good that came out of that Right. And he's Beish doesn't get it. So why should he? But it takes the death of Charlie to sort of wake him up. That's when he finally listens to Dwyer. Like Dwyer literally has to get on his knees. Right. And say, declare Enough's victory. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so, of course, as they're walking out, you can see how happy everyone is that it's over. Except for, of course, uh, David Sean, you know, the psycho who just he he, he knows that's it. It's like this is the hill he was going to die. This on. is the hill. Yeah. So he tries to shoot at Kirby. He misses. Of course, the, you know Kirby says attack. You know they drop smoke. Kids are scattering everywhere. There's machine gun fire. As far as we can tell, the only one. At first, I don't think they, they just start shooting into the smoke, but eventually they realize it's, it's one Tom guy. Cruise's. You know, like when he starts firing, like he you know he fires until his weapon, his M16 is empty, and then once he do, he grabs the M60, and when you know Moreland and and. Uh, and Dwyer finally gets it. It's beautiful, man. Beautiful. And he's got tears in his eyes and he's giggling. It's like, you know what he reminded me of? Dr. Strangelove. You ever see that movie? No. Okay. It's, it's, it's well, about, it's a about, bit of it, but yeah. yeah, it's about nuclear war. And it actually includes this psychotic general played by George C. Scott. And at one point this, when, you know, when things have deescalated with Russia and there's not going to be a bomb drop, the, the, the flight commander of, it's a very famous scene and they even did it in the Simpsons. He, he can't bear the thought of not being able to drop that nuclear bomb and he can't make his bomber drop it. So he actually, he mounts it like a horse and forces it to drop on his own. And on the way down, he's waving his, his, um, his cowboy hat in the air yelling yeehaw because he doesn't care that it's going to kill him. He's going to get his nuclear war. And this reminded me almost of that strange love moment. Like he knows he's going to die. You know, Tom Cruise's character knows he's dead and he just opens up with his M60. And of course they shred the building. Moreland in an attempt to save his friend, despite it all, he's still his friend. He gets killed too. And in the end, what is it? It's Dwyer who, if he had said something earlier, might've been able to stop all of this. Instead, he's left with his best friend, his roomie, in his arms, riddled with bullets. You know, it's funny you mentioned at the end, like it sort of ends with him sort of walking off into the smoke and all these soldiers like, and all these kids, and they all have guns, and they're all just sort of walking in the area. He said, no one's under arrest. These kids still have their guns. And it's like, at this point, it's just a disaster for everyone. No one's going to shoot anyone. It's just everyone's sort of done. Yeah, and when the leader, you, you know, you cut the head off the snake... It all just it all just goes away. And that's kind of what happened when and, you know, it's funny because uh, Moreland didn't have to he had given up then it was done and Mm -hmm. he didn't have to go back and get his friend and he didn't have to. But it just shows that that military that mentality of no man left behind that I got to go and protect this guy who's going to die. But it's also it's his friend. He's his teenage friend. You know, it's like when you're 17, who you're more loyal to. I need to help him see the light. And so it's both those things. And it's in a toxic this toxic overly masculine environment where it's every like you wouldn't think of doing anything else you know what i mean like when west you know when they had that second assembly and said anyone who doesn't want to be here leave now and the first one to step forward is this captain west one of his buddies and then all these other people step forward and he doesn't even want to like moreland doesn't even want to look at him he just salutes him and he doesn't even give a proper salute the first non-proper salute he gives is all this, this wave like fuck off please and go won't away. let him talk and won't let him talk he doesn't want to hear it's not that he's afraid of being talked out of it he's been betrayed and in the end we see that moreland was just as toxic as david sean he's just as toxic he's just more calm about it but he's actually in some ways worse so so the real question is did the school open the next day 
Yeah, right. Did, was uh, was there was there a rebellion for yeah, not? Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, and it's you know the irony is the school they filmed it at shut down a few years ago. Oh yeah, that's one right. of the last proper military schools in the states. Huh. But uh, so I, I mean, I guess we could we could belabor this, but we're kind of almost there. So question: Does it hold up? I would say it does. I would argue it does. There are some things like you know the technology, of course, that changes, and but I, and I think kids these days, you know, kids these days, says the forty-two-year-old, I don't think they would get the military aspect of that lawyer, like the military school thing, especially like we're Canadians and we don't have military schools here, at least not that I know of. Maybe we did in the fifties, but I don't think there's one like that. So I think Canadian kids would look at this and say, well, that's bullshit. But I wonder for American kids who live in a much more military, military friendly culture where the military is held up. I wonder how they would view it, whether they would say, I identify with the kids because as a kid growing up in a, in a, in a very anti-military family, well, not, that's not fair a non-military family. My father was a pacifist. No one in his family served. He viewed the military very poorly. Ironic that I became a soldier. For me, it was easy to, even I looked at these kids and said, yeah, this is awesome. And now I think differently. So maybe it hasn't held up because I'm a grown up. I I think it depends on your audience. I think this is going to be a really split decision because we're from the 80s. We came from the 80s. That's the point of this. So, but I think the youth today, there's not a lot of slower developing movies in today's day and age because it really has to grab your attention for so long. And, and this movie, even I was having a hard time staying awake and and I, (laughs) you know, I'm tired today, but it's not that the movie was boring. It's that there's not that it doesn't grab your, they're not the today's grabbers where fidget spinners and, and iPhones are these, you know, the base of what these kids need. They need to be always grabbed at. And I don't think that this movie does a good job doing that. Whereas if you get into the older, uh, yeah, they're more willing to watch. They're more likely for it to hold up and say like, like me, I can sit back and say, yeah, that was a good movie. I can watch us. Yeah. You know, so, so my, my answer to did it hold up? I would say it's a split decision, audience driven. Whereas, you know, we did Top Gun today. We watched that movie. and, And I think it's important to know that, I think if a kid watched Top Gun today, it's entertaining enough that they it could hold up for yeah. them. But um, so yeah, I think that would be for me. It's a split decision. Yeah, it's also the opposite. Top Gun was literally used as a as a military recruitment tool. If you saw that in in theaters in the states in most major cities, there was a naval recruiter in the lobby after the film handing out pamphlets. This is as anti military as can be, right. and they're only four years apart. But I wonder if that's because in 1981, the U.S. had a very defeated feel about it, whereas by 1986, you were five years into Reaganism and mourning in America and much more jingoistic, like more, much more pro-military. So, yeah, to me, it holds up, but for very different reasons, despite the fact that I have the absolute opposite opinion of the film as I did when I was a kid. Right. Now I'm cheering for the adults, not the kids. So how would you rate it out of five stars? Um, I, I think I would rate it a three. And part of it is that I didn't find that it had those grabbers. I think it yeah. took a long time to get where yeah. it got. And I think for me, that's, uh, yeah, that was a yeah. three. I would give it a four and a half because for me, it's the philosophical, the contemplative. And I think that there's just a few things that they, it's like that, that extra sentence on the cutting room floor that would have filled in some of the the gaps. It's not perfect. There's things that maybe they should have done they didn't. But I think it held up really well and I would give it a four and a half. Good. So. Fair enough. And there it is. So we'll speak to you next week, next whenever on We Came From The 80s.